You are listening to Subtle Disruptors Melbourne. This is the first series of the podcast, Subtle Disruptors, telling the stories of those who are quietly having an amazing, positive impact on their city and the world. Swamp through cities reclaimed by waves Watch a storm strip a forest bare Crawled through cities torn apart by trees Felt the sweet surrender and release Can you feel it too? It's in me and in you The walls won't hold In time we'll all be overcome You've seen it in your dreams The plans and schemes In time Shelter, no weapon, no barrier, no heaven, no lover, no religion, no treasure or television to protect us when we're overcome. That beautiful song is by Cameron Elliott, who's today's guest, a song that he plays in full towards the end of the podcast. I wanted to change the intro today slightly so that you get a bit of a feel for well the end of the podcast and the song, but also the place that Cam's about to talk about during the podcast. He's co-founder of something called The Weekly Service, which is a secular communal gathering of people about crowdsourcing wisdom, in which they do things like group singing as well. Um, I really love this chat today. Um, There's something about Cam that's uh, really sincere and uh, awe-inspiring and moving and warm and I felt a real connection with him during this chat uh, which I hope you feel as well and yeah I hope you get a bit of a a taste for what a poster church could look like as well and feel like and why it could be good for us good to be here with you Panay great to be here with you too Um, do you want to describe where we actually are? Yeah, so um, we're sitting in a little theatre at the back of Nest co-working space in Thornbury, uh, north uh, part of Melbourne, and this is a space where every week um, we host a thing called the weekly service, which is, I've kind of been thinking a lot about how I describe it in a short way, because it's quite, there's a lot of elements to it, Um, but the little kind of pitch I've come up with is that it's um, basically a space to crowdsource wisdom to help you reimagine life. And the idea is hopefully one day there'll be a network of these weekly services all around the world and it'll be a way to yeah, pull together all of that knowledge that lives within each and every one of us. Yeah. Yeah. It is a nice succinct way to describe it. I want to delve in to quite a bit more detail there as well. Before we do, like we're sitting it's a pretty cool like it's a co working space. I'm familiar with this, I know Jay that set this up and um, he's done an amazing job of creating this in Thornbury in the north of Melbourne. It's at the back here, it's like a little amphitheatre, isn't it? I guess Mm. uh, this is a space for people who are working to just come in the co-working space when it's a co-working space to come and just chill out and um, sit on these kind of this tiered area and have a different kind of experience working. Yeah. How do you set it up for your services? So what really appealed to us and why we chose this space is because of that tiered seating with the stage at the bottom. So the t- we always have two um, uh, leaders each week and the leaders are below the, the congregation, if you want to call it that. Yeah. So the audience are above the speakers. So it's immediately flipping that traditional kind of hierarchy structure on its end, which, um, yeah, that appealed to us. Uh, but yeah, I think the intention of Jay, who started The Nest, was that this space would be a place for all the social enterprises that work in the co-working space to have a place where they could host events and um, networking nights and stuff and, yeah, facilitate, um, I guess, social change stuff. So, yeah, it's yeah. perfectly suited to that and it has a great vibe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, talk us through, is there a standard service or what does a, a standard sure. service look like? Yeah, so... Do you call it a service? Like I said, we do call a it a service. service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, even though that kind of triggers some people who come from like a religious background. Um, I don't personally come from a religi- religious background, but I can understand why it would trigger you. That word kind of service is like, oh, you know, the, 
the structure and the hierarchy and the dogma that is often associated with church, unfortunately. Um, and we're trying to kind of take the good bits of church and of religion in general and leave behind the bad bits. Um, and the good bits that we've taken, are we do uh, a sing-along, which is a lot of fun, and I often lead that as a, a musician. Um, and we do, it kind of starts off with um, just a welcoming, welcome to country. Uh, sorry, acknowledgement of country, I should say. And then we introduce the topic and before we kind of dive into it, we help people get into their bodies. And there's a number of different ways we can do that, um, but often it's listening to a beautiful piece of music. Um, and that really helps you get present in yourself and ready for the conversation. Because often we spend most of the week kind of just in our minds, running at a million miles an hour, kind of, you know, got to drop the kids off, got to pick up the groceries, got to get home and cook dinner, blah, blah, blah. And you're kind of not present at all. Yeah. So this is like a space that we've created to be a bit of an antidote for the hectic pace of the modern life. So yeah, you get in your bodies and then we, we have a, a storyteller each week. And uh, the storyteller basically sets the theme for the week. And at the start, it was me and, and Henry, my co-founder, um, who were kind of doing the storytelling most of the time because we were still building the community. But we've now got to the point where, yeah, we've got a big community that's coming along each week and there's people approaching us wanting to talk, which is super exciting because we're not setting the agenda at all. It's basically emergent. Uh, so you never really know what you're gonna get. So we've had people tell stories on really pretty out there stuff, like ayahuasca, mm. um, which is you know, uh, the medicine plant um, designed to take you on uh, a pretty metaphysical journey. Um, we've had people, just this week we had Michelle Dabrowski, who's a great, um, it's hard to describe what she is, but she's basically a poet, storyteller, musician, uh, social entrepreneur, and uh, arts educator. And so she came along and told us about the power of poetry um, and spoken word in general to uh, help you self-actualize uh, or self-realization. So yeah, it's pretty broad and pretty diverse, but the, the aim is to, through storytelling, to connect people together. Because those, um, a great story, the essence of all great stories is that you see yourself in the story. So it ceases to be Michelle telling her story and becomes Cam listening and finding himself through Michelle's story. So that process is hugely um, transformative. I think I've personally, you know, we've had, I think, 22 services now and there hasn't been a single one where I haven't felt moved by something that the speaker has said. Um, and so I think it's, yeah, it's about connecting with through the heart rather than through the mind. Um, and there are alternatives to the weekly service out there. Um, there's Sunday Assembly, and there's churches in general, and other religions. Um, but a lot of them tend to spend a lot of time engaging with the mind, which is great. And we don't say, you know, check your mind at home. We're like, bring your mind as well, but let's use it um, embodied by the heart. Mm. So, yeah, and then we finish up with uh, a discussion. So we go around the room and everyone gets a chance to have a say about what they got out of that story. And um, that's actually my favorite part of the service is hearing what people bring. Um, and yeah, it's a fascinating process to go through. And, and then at the end, yeah, there's a sing-along. So it's, it's loosely follows a church service, but it's kind of a, yeah, a bit different. Yeah, I do have a church background, a very church, yep. churchy background. I um, grew up in an Assemblies of God church and uh, my parents were both in the leadership of that church as well. So uh, it does trigger a few things for me. I'm no longer yep. part of um, a regular church gathering. Um, my spirituality has gone through a number of different iterations since that time, I guess, when, in my early 20s. Um, do you, yeah, you say that it, it triggers, what sort of things does it trigger in different people? What have you sure. found when you do talk about it? Yeah, so in talking with people, um, there's some people that have come along that have been in cults before. Um, and it really kind of like, you know, in, in any situation where there's someone up the front and you're dealing with stuff that isn't just kind of intellectual ideas and it's starting to get into talking about the mystery of being human and kind of metaphysical stuff, 
there's an instant kind of like, oh lordy, we're in that kind of territory. These guys could be a bit too charismatic and suddenly the whole thing becomes, you know, Jonestown and, you know, we're drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> and that's, you know, something we're super conscious of and very aware of. Um, and so every time we approach something like the sing-along, which has, you know, connotations to church, we just name it. We're like, this is something that could be super uncomfortable for some people who come from a church background or um, just maybe who aren't comfortable singing. And if you don't want to sing, you don't have to. That's cool. Like, we just invite you, if you feel comfortable, to sing. So it's about helping people who are getting triggered um, to feel safe. And that's um, the challenge, I think, of facilitating anything, really, is helping people feel comfortable and safe. Yeah. But not too comfortable, I suppose, at the same time. No. It's that little bit of challenge that's yeah. always good to, to provide people as a facilitator, I guess. Yeah, yeah totally. It is finding that balance. Um, you don't want people falling asleep because they're so comfortable. <laughs> yeah. um, and you are, we, we are here to help people grow. Um, so that does require some discomfort, but hopefully not too much. Yeah. I think one of the biggest triggers for me, or just in thinking about my experience going through a church and then other times I've been involved in something similar, like I, uh, I did have a passion of meditation where this was kind of triggered as well, but mm. it's, um, it's a little bit about being told what to think yeah. and um, that, that this is the way things are and really there's often a bit of discussion, but it's quite, my experience was it was quite a bounded mm -hmm. discussion. Yep. Um, yeah, how does that go in this environment? I love that question. Yeah, totally. Um, so we're all about not having the answers. So our unofficial, um, I guess, uh, tagline is if you're looking for answers, you've come to the wrong place. <laughs> so we don't have any answers. Um, and, but we think that everyone, you know, the group in its wisdom has the answer as a whole, but individually we have kind of pieces mm. and it's in piecing those pieces together like a puzzle that we get the whole. So how we kind of manage that um, issue through a, a group discussion is basically by bringing voice or giving voice to um, the alternative. So if someone is talking about uh, chakras, for instance, we had someone come in and talk about that a few weeks ago. We, um, I'm skeptical, uh, but you know, the storyteller was a true believer in it and I definitely respect that there's lots of people that believe that chakras are actual energy centers in our body um, and our subtle body rather than our physical body and that they draw energy in and they release energy out. And I personally don't necessarily believe that. So I think it was important for the people, the other people in the audience that were skeptical to not feel like they were being pressured into believing it just because the storyteller believed it. And so I tried to through the discussion, ask if anyone, you know, was a bit cynical about this. And then that gave them the invitation to, to speak and bring a bit of balance to the discussion. So, yeah, I'm always looking for that opportunity to kind of show the other side of the story and not feel like, you know, there's just one reality or one truth. Yeah. Yeah. The, so in terms of those storytellers and bringing up topics, is that curated at all? Or how, you know, can anyone come and say, look, you know, Cam, I would love to tell mm. a story this week. Or how do you how do you moderate that? Yeah, that's a tricky one. Um, so far, we haven't had anyone come to us who we haven't been super excited about their chosen theme. Yeah. So there hasn't been a single person that's come and said, you know, I want to talk about I don't know baby killing or something. <laughs> you know, like it's always been uh, something we've just jumped at. So so far, we haven't had to deal with that. I imagine definitely down the track that it will be an issue. Um, but we have a set of principles that guide how we work together in the leadership team and how we facilitate. Um, so I think it would just be passing the topic through those principles. And if it checks out, then great. If it doesn't, then maybe we have, might have to be a bit firm and say, sorry, we can't allow that to be talked about. But I think everything should be given airtime, really. Um, and we often have people who come along and during the discussion share some stuff that's pretty out there and pretty challenging. Um, but I think our approach or our ideal is to always approach everything with an open heart and an open mind and to understand where that person is coming from. Because mm. when you understand the context for someone, it's very hard to judge them because you'd realize that if I was in that context myself, 
I'd be behaving and thinking exactly the same thing. So who am I to judge, basically? So, yeah. What are those principles that you were talking about there? Sure. Um, so the, the biggest one is non-judgment. Um, uh, compassion. Interacting um, directly as well. So being open and transparent in your communication. Um, but doing that with love rather than um, with judgment. So, uh, and the other thing is, is helping people um, feel safe and trusting, uh, trusting in the process, I guess, trusting that the right people will come and the right discussions will happen and whatever needs to happen will happen. Yeah. So it's a bit of that, that awkward triggering word, faith, (laughs) (laughs) that I really struggled, um, with for a long time personally because I just didn't I didn't see how it could apply to my life as a non-believer mm. um, I was like well faith in what I don't believe in you know a deity or someone watching over us so what do I have faith in and it's just I've come to realize it's just basically a belief that what needs to happen will happen when it needs to happen and that has really helped me let go through some pretty kind of hairy conversations that have happened in the, in the service. And also, you know, when things go wrong, you're just like, oh, well, who am I to know what's going to be the outcome of that, you know, seemingly stuff up? Often it unleashes some amazingness that you could never have foreseen. So, yeah, just kind of have faith. Yeah. When you say that, you know, that hopefully the, the right people show up and that kind of thing, what sort of people are you attracting to this? Sure. Uh, pretty, pretty interesting people, like very, um, you could call them fringe dwellers. So people who exist outside the mainstream, but work within it. Um, so uh, probably the demographic would be 25 to 35 year old, mainly women. Um, and I think they're mainly women because women are more comfortable going into these kind of conversations. There's less barriers with women um, between themselves and emotions. Um, and I'd say left wing, uh, inner north, Melbourne, yeah. kind of gives you the picture. Yeah. Uh, but open-minded and open-hearted people predominantly who um, I guess just want to explore these ideas. Uh, but we do every now and again have people who you would call yeah, mainstream. And sometimes they they come back and sometimes they don't. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I've forgotten your co-founder's name. Mm, Henry. Henry. Yeah. So, yeah, if you didn't, you don't have a religious background necessarily. It sounds like you, you're drawn a lot of good ideas from, from churches. I mean, that's interesting. That's, that's one of the things, even when I stopped going to church, I always used to think about the positive things that I got out of it. And one of them mm. was the real community and the diversity of ages that I really liked, like yeah. hanging around with kids and hanging around with um, you know people in their 70s and 80s as well. Totally. Um, there was the group singing, which I, I did enjoy too. Um, also, just listening to someone talk who spent some time thinking about a topic and conveying mm. that information I really liked yeah. as well. I mean, that, maybe that's just a personal preference here. But, you know, you've drawn out some of those things do you or Henry yeah how did how did you research this like where did you come up with this idea sure um so we can't claim to um be the creators of the idea uh Alain de Botton um the philosopher writer started um uh, the school of life he has a great book called religion for atheists and we um we read it about probably eight months ago and I've been thinking about this kind of idea of starting up some sort of alternative to religion um, probably for about five years, but then I stumbled upon this book and it basically laid out this protocol and this kind of framework for how you could actually make this stuff happen and it had all sorts of great ideas which we're still figuring out how we can incorporate. So yeah, we, um, we took that book and then I've studied religion um, not seriously and not through any university courses, but just as a kind of amateur. Um, it's, it's something that interests me and fascinates me and always has. So I'm a, a meditator. I've been um, practicing mindfulness for eight years. Um, I'm fascinated by Christianity, uh, Hinduism, uh, Judaism, um, shamanism, pretty much 
and Taoism especially, any belief system, um, any way of understanding and explaining the mystery, like even poetry, fascinates me. So I believe that there's elements from all of the major religions and all of the major kind of, um, what would you call them, belief groups that they all have something to offer. And it's just teasing out what that is and separating it from the stuff that kind of gets in the way um, or kind of um, sullies the message and just taking them and making the most of it. And I do that on a personal level and I was like, well, I've been doing this on a personal level, why can't I do this on a community level? And um, so I met Henry, <coughs> would have been a year and a half ago now, at a barbecue and we were having a chat and kind of like saying, what do you do? I was telling him you know, what I was doing at the time and felt pretty dissatisfied with that and wasn't happy in the work that I was doing as a consultant. And he was similar, pretty disenchanted with his job. And we're like, well, what would you do if you could um, do anything? And he said, oh, I'd be a church pastor. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? Are you Christian? He said, no, I don't believe in God, um, but it's something that I feel I'm, I'm called to do. <laughs> and I was like, oh, me too. <laughs> I don't believe in God either, but I'd love to be a pastor or a minister. Um, and so we kind of explored that a bit. And like, well, what would it mean to be a minister? What does that mean? Um, and for me, it's basically being a secular psychologist, like you're a secular, sorry, you're a secular counselor, um, exploring what it is to be human, exploring the, the depths of, um, the human psyche and kind of pulling up wisdom and sharing it with people. And, but it's more than that. It's about creating a community that's there every week and, guiding that community um, through their own exploration, holding their hand, if you will, to kind of help them through that process. And um, yeah, that really excited us. So we spent you know, um, six months uh, prototyping the idea and figuring out um, what were the things that were gonna kind of freak people out um, and how could we make sure that we didn't freak people out basically so that people felt comfortable. Um, and then we trialled it, started the first one in September of last year. And it's just gone from strength to strength. So, yeah, it's been a, a, quite a journey. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, um, yeah, just uh, just even playing my own mind with that idea of, you know, what does a, a secular minister look like? It's a, it's a pretty cool thing to think about. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, when you say you prototype the idea, did you do that with a few trusting friends or yeah. you know, how did you gather yeah. your initial... Our victims. Yeah, your victims, <laughs> yeah. So we had, the first one was in uh, my living room. I think we had like eight people there, all friends. Um, and that was just kind of like, just trialing it and just going at the end, what do you guys think about that? What worked, what didn't work? What, what else would you like to see in this thing? Um, and that was our idea the whole way through was that we wanted this thing to evolve and be co-designed, if you will, by the community that was going to be coming along to it mm. because we felt that was the best way for people to get the most out of it because who are we? Like, we don't know what people need or want. We know what we need and want, but that may not be what others do. So we've always put it out to people. We've put surveys out really regularly just saying, how do you think this is going? What's working? What isn't? Um, and we just continually modified it based on the feedback that we got until we've got to the point now where there's not too much negative feedback coming back and most of it's positive and so there doesn't seem to be like too much that we need to change. Um, but if we do, we're totally open to keep evolving. Yeah. And that, that, that's kind of what, how nature works. Um, and I think this is going off on a completely different tangent, but I've realized recently that organizational structures that don't reflect nature, I think have a short shelf life. We need to learn as, as organizations, as individuals, as a society, how to better mimic how nature works in order to make sure that we're going to be on the planet for a long time as opposed to be wiped out. So, yeah, this is kind of like a little microcosm of that I see as kind of learning how to work with nature um, effectively. Yeah, I'd love to explain a bit more because the book that yeah. I'm reading at the moment is, it's, having, it's taken me about a year to read actually. It's called The Systems View of Life. Mm. and it's it's sounds heavy <laughs> yeah it is heavy it is heavy it's very long um but i'm right at the end now and it's interesting that um one of the the last chapters is about 
um, encouraging us to develop a, um, an understanding of ecology a lot more and develop a, um, um, you know, develop a framework and a vocabulary that's, that's um, drawn from, yeah, the, the nature and the environment around us. So cool. you've got a, your background is in sustainability. Is that right? Well, yeah, sort of. So um, my background is actually in psychology. Yeah. Uh, so I was trained as a psychologist, uh, but decided not to follow that as a practice because um, I didn't feel like I was quite ready to uh, be fully present for people in extreme states of suffering. Um, so I wasn't ready for that. I felt called to do it, um, but just couldn't couldn't commit to it. And then I. Um, my second passion was always uh, the environment. So I'd spent most of my childhood spending time in nature um, and I wanted to make sure that my kids would be able to do the same. Um, so I spent the past six years working um, in the sustainability space in different kind of facets, um, spending uh, just under a year working um, in the policy space for a, um, a think tank and then spent the last five years working uh, as a consultant um, in the space of evaluation, but evaluating government sustainability programs. So, yeah, I have a bit of a, a bit of knowledge of sustainability, um, but I never studied it per se. So I can't say I'm an ecologist or a you know, sustainability yeah. expert, unfortunately. Yeah. More, more of a, I have more of a passion than anything for it. So when you're talking about, you know, organisations, uh, will thrive as as much as they're sort of reflecting the natural or the organisational structures of nature. What mm. sort of things are you thinking about there? Yeah, sure. So um, a, a perfect example is that in nature, um, there's nothing that has one function. So everything has multiple functions in nature. So for instance, a rock um, absorbs heat and that it then shares with a lizard um, it breaks down and it has minerals that go and get absorbed by plants. Um, it creates a little microclimate around it. So everything, like even rocks, have multiple functions. But in our organisations, we have people with one function. We have the accountant, we have the manager, we have the marketing professional. And as a result of that, people get siloed and they aren't working together. They don't understand what the other people are doing. And not to mention the fact that people have multiple skill sets that can be applied across functions. And so it becomes grossly inefficient. Um, and if you look at nature, it is the opposite of inefficiency. It's totally efficient. Yeah. Um, and so we should be yeah, structuring organizations like that. There's lots of different examples. I mean, hierarchy. <coughs> um, we have incredibly kind of boxed, rigid um, are basically boxes like squares you never find rough edged kind of angular square shapes in nature that are always smooth and they're curved um, and we just we have these kind of rigid boxed hierarchical structures that don't really seem to serve anyone other than the people at the top which I find kind of strange so yeah I don't have the answer but I think I think nature if we can help people and organisations more broadly mimic that then we'd be on the right step yeah I think, yeah, this is a, such an exciting area, I think, as well. I, um, like, I'm just thinking about, I've, I've had a, got a consulting background as well, and yeah. a, a consulting firm probably is, uh, in many ways, or well, the traditional one, the opposite <laughs> of that, very hierarchical, very, um, you know, you do your role and you earn your money for your hours that you've worked. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I've... There, I think there's some organisations that Jay, who runs Nest, has been um, talking to about different structures as well. How, I mean, do you have any ideas about how organisations can adopt that or how maybe perhaps how are you implementing that mm. in the weekly service? Yeah, yeah it's uh, an evolving process for us. So we, uh, we always like talking about the co-designing thing. It was never us um, dictating anything to people. Uh, so immediately, um, you know, even the, the structure of how we lay out the service, as I was saying before, is like flipping hierarchy on its head. Like the leaders are at the bottom and the, the kind of workers, if you want to call them that, they're not. Their audience members are above us. Um, so that was kind of the initial way we were doing it. And now that we've got, um, I guess, staff in inverted commas because no one's getting paid, but volunteers um, who are working with us, um, we're having to kind of figure out, okay, well, what is this organizational structure going to look like? 
and we're wanting it to be um, super uh, open um, and everyone can do whatever roles they feel they want to in that moment. So we're trying to avoid getting into that kind of siloed, you do this, you do that, and never the two shall meet kind of thinking. Um, so I kind of do a bit of marketing, I do a bit of um, uh, networking, I do a bit of you know, writing, I do a bit of um, organization and, and planning and you know, strategy and all that kind of stuff, and we share all of that. Um, I'm not the marketing guy, even though I have a background in marketing, that's not my thing. Um, and so it's kind of letting go as well of that need to control and need to kind of define your identity by what you do. Yeah. Um, and just going, okay, well, I'm me, but I, I let that, that's, that's where it ends, you know, and I'm me, but then I do all these other things and it's not the things that I'm doing that define me. And so we're trying to bring that into the, the structure of the organization, um, and keep it really, uh, flat, a flat hierarchy. So, um, there's no CEO, uh, there's no um, COO. It's just you know, a leadership team, mm. and and you know people can approach us and and want to join it if they are up for the commitment, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, what what else are you thinking of that's that's growing out of the weekly service now? You've done twenty two of them now. Like, what's yeah. it's starting to bubble up about? I think you kind of mentioned that you'd like to see a global network of these, but yeah. what's sort of the next step? You know, what's happening right now? We're actually having a meeting um, tomorrow night to decide what the next steps is. So we're going to do a, a yearly kind of plan. We've kind of avoided plans because we've tried to be, you know, doing this kind of emergent thing, but we're getting to the point now where we need some kind of structure and some kind of plan um, to figure out what we're going to do. Um, so I think my I've got a few ideas, but... I would love to um, consider starting co-working spaces uh, because it just feels like a natural extension of what we do here. Like we <coughs> create a place where people can come along and share what they're passionate about um, and we get people coming through who work in the kind of social change, social entrepreneurial kind of space um, and creatives and freelancers. So it's the kind of perfect kinds of people who would want a space to work in and to facilitate stuff in. So there's a natural kind of synergy there. And plus, um, you know, if we can start that up, then we can have a space where we can run the weekly service. So that's the kind of big picture thinking down the track to have a, a co-working space, hopefully one day in every major city in the world. And that's pretty ambitious and I'm aware, aware it's idealistic, but I'd love to have those co-working spaces be a hub for the kinds of ideas and things that we explore in the weekly service. And once we've got services in every city, um, that's a hell of a lot of great uh, content that's being fed back um, every week that we can share with the world yeah. online. So then you get this um, TED kind of talk equivalent, but exploring the human mystery rather than exploring technology, engineering, and design. Um, and that, that just excites me hugely. Uh, the potential for greatness is, is so, so big with that. Um, yeah, it's, it's super exciting. So how we get there, um, that's what we're talking about on Monday night. I'm, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. We've got the dream. We just have to figure out the steps in between here and there. Yeah. Yeah, I love those ideas that you're talking about there. I, you know, co-working spaces really excite me. I think they're just an amazing uh, thing that's uh, emerged yeah. know, um, out of serviced offices and, you know, perhaps um, people starting their own businesses and working from home. And it's just this thing that's uh, needed and they're popping up all over the place now and people talking about co-living and, um, you know, intentional living. Um, mm. I'm pretty excited about where I could go. Like totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we, th we did think about, um, yeah, intentional communities. Uh, I've been doing a lot of reading about that and the kind of ins and outs and the common pitfalls and how you can avoid them. It's a pretty tricky space. Uh, and I'm also mega aware of... Um, the intensity or how much more that'll kind of like scale up the uh, awkwardness around cult-like kind of questions, you know, like, hey, we're all going to live together in a commune. <laughs> yeah. This isn't a cult at all. Um, but yeah, yeah. How, how, can we, how can we live together in a way that kind of reflects the values that we're trying to bring to the weekly service of like, nobody has the answer. There's no hierarchy. <clears throat> 
and how can we avoid the, the difficulties of that as in like how do we actually get anything done if there's no hierarchy if there's no rules you know like there has to be some rules there has to be some kind of way of making decisions what does that look like how can we work on that and, and bed that down together <coughs> and how can we stay open so that people feel they can leave if it's not working for them and that people feel they can join if they're excited about it mm. um, yeah it's I don't know too many places where it has worked that well, but there's a place called Common Ground um, in, that's about an hour north of Melbourne in, in Seymour. And they've been going since the early 80s and they have been doing great work and they're still an intentional community that survives to this day. Yeah. So I've read um, everything that they've written about how they make that work and there's a lot of really great stuff in there. Um, <coughs> So it's really about uh, learning from the different models that have been successful and trying to roll that out. Ideally in a city, like I'd love this to be something that we do in a major city because the thing that a lot of people write off um, communes or intentional communities or whatever with is that, oh yeah, it's just hippies living out in the bush, whatever. That's not accessible to everyone. Yeah. In order to kind of like break down that, that bullshit myth, we have to make it viable and we have to make it viable in a major you know, urban area. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, going back to cult-like behaviours and you know sure. and groups that have managed to um, be sustainable yeah. over a long period of time. Two of the things that come to my mind uh, for groups, like thinking about my own experiences as well. Two of the behaviours that come to mind are a a disconnection from others outside the group, like a really kind of strong boundary of us and them. Mm. And the other one is around money as well. Yeah, right. Know, and, and they're they're probably, I mean, you probably haven't, maybe you haven't had to confront those two to a, a massive degree yet, given mm. the uh, early stages of where you're at, but have you given any thought to those two topics? Yeah, totally. I think um, money is a massive thing for us at the moment, and that's what was actually the driver for me calling the meeting for Monday night, because, you know, we're running this thing every week. Um, we have to pay for rent. We've got, um, you know, we have to work jobs. Uh, um to pay our own personal bills. So there's a lot of expenses that we're covering that um, are only just being covered. And if we're gonna be sustainable and we're gonna achieve our vision, we have to think of a way of making enough revenue to keep that going. Um, and so that'll be an even bigger issue when we take on more things like uh, an intentional community, um, co-working spaces. It's kind of getting your revenue model and your business model right so that you can pay yourself, so that you can do even better work. Uh, and not being feeling ashamed of like taking a salary for doing good, I think is a thing that I'm working with personally and as an organization we're trying to get come to grips with. Uh, and I think it's common across the philanthropy kind of um, social enterprise section in sector in general. It's like I'm, I'm doing this because I, I want to help. Um, and then you think, well, therefore I can't get paid. Um, but there's no reason why you can't. And it doesn't cheapen your, your intention. The intention is still pure. It's just you have... A reality there which is you know you have material needs and you need to meet them somehow yeah. you're not Jesus <laughs> um, so yeah I think the money side of some stuff is definitely on our radar and we're working through that at the moment and the other side that you're talking about of um, us versus them super tricky uh, but the whole idea behind the weekly service is that it's open to everyone like we don't want to create a uh, we're the chosen people or we're the kind of ones who have the answer. Um, we're trying to create a space where we don't have any answers. Um, and if you're a Christian, you're welcome to come along and bring the answers that you think you have. If you're Jewish, you can bring along your answers. If you're agnostic, come along. If you're atheist, you're welcome. Like we have some atheists, we have Christians who come along and we try and dance that delicate line of respecting, um, you know, and valuing what they have to offer, but not jumping and going, that is my answer. Uh, really, really challenging. But I think it's basically the work that we have to do as humans. Yeah. Um, as a, on a planet, planetary level, like if we don't find out really quickly how to um, work together and how to overcome these ridiculous divisions and differences, we don't have much time left on the planet, I don't think. So it's pretty urgent and important work and we're experimenting, experimenting it with it here, but we're not the only ones. There's people doing this stuff all over the place. So 
Yeah, it's exciting. It's it's terrifying and exciting at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll just do a quick time check. Sure. Cool. Um, I've got a couple of questions, but you've also got a special... I do. Special, special surprise. Yeah. Do you want to do that now? Sure. Before we wrap up? Yeah, cool. That sounds good. I'll just get it ready. I got this one out as well. So. Oh, cool. thing to make any noise that kind of disrupts recording so this is a um a song i wrote a few weeks ago that's still pretty fresh so i've got the lyrics here because i don't may not remember them otherwise yeah. um and yeah i don't really quite know what it's about yet but i'll play it anyway <laughs> Top of a granite peak, and saw a fire that'll never cease. Seen an eagle fall from the sky, and heard the terror in its final cry. Cities reclaimed by waves. Watch the storm strip a forest bare. I crawled through cities torn apart by trees. Felt the sweet surrender and release. Can you feel it too? It's in me and in you. The walls won't hold. In time, we'll all be overcome. Seen it in your dreams, the plans and schemes. In time, we'll all be overcome. There'll be no shelter, no weapon, no barrier, no heaven, no lover, no religion, no treasure or television to protect us when we're overcome. Desert appear in a day, scaled skin and empty veins. I saw the bones of a rabbit bleached, snow white, it stripped my soul clean. Can you feel it too? It's in me and in you, the walls won't hold. In time, we'll all be overcome. Seen it in your dreams, the plans and schemes. In time, they'll all be overcome. There'll be no shelter, no weapon, no barrier, no heaven, no lover, no religion, no treasure, or television to protect you when you're overcome. Still figuring out how it works, but yeah. So um, yeah, for me that uh, that idea of feeling overcome like that. I think one of the lyrics that really stood out to me there was a city that's overgrown by trees. Yeah. And um, I think I've had that feeling in myself. You know, just that feeling of absolute surrender to what's happening around me and stop trying to fight what's happening, but just yep. allow it to. 
you know envelop and uh, overcoming totally yeah. yeah i think um we had michelle yesterday who was telling um her story and one of the things that stood out for me she she did a poem and she was talking about and one of the lines was um i'm pushing pushing the river and then she says oh no i, I should be letting the river push me <laughs> yeah. and i think that's kind of like the essence of the song is basically we've set up all these structures and these plans and these schemes but ultimately you know nature will have its way um, and whether you want to call it nature, you want to call it God, you want to call it the universe, you want to call it fate, um, there's this recognition uh, that I've increasingly kind of been forced to realize is that there is an order, there's a kind of a structure that exists outside of us that we need to get in tune with and work with rather than trying to kind of force or, or contain or, or push. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you're kind of in that flow with it, that's where the magic happens. And it's so rewarding when you're in when you're in that state, but it's so easy to get out of it, uh, and you feel that like if you if you meditate, um, you know sometimes you're in the, a state where everything is just easy, and that ease then flows back into your life off the, the meditation cushion, um, and you just you're in the zone, and you can't really explain it, but you're there, um, and. Yeah, that's that's the state. If I could live in that state all the time, I'd be stoked. <laughs> that would be like the magic formula for me. Um, yeah, and I think that's at the heart of, of, of creativity as well and of um, songwriting for me is not trying to push it, just kind of sitting down and being there and if something comes, it comes. Yeah. 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 A couple of questions that I ask people as we round things off. Um, first one is about something that you daydream about disrupting one day you know the podcast is about subtle disruptors and Mm -hmm. you're creating this subtle disruption within I guess spirituality or communal um, intentional gatherings yeah is this something outside of that you that you daydream about being part of one day oh wow Um, as in something dissociated from what we're doing here yeah or maybe a you know a tangent off that yeah yeah Ooh, let me think. Um, I think I mean, everything that I, I'm doing, like whether it's music, whether it's um, facilitating uh, the weekly service or facilitating the work I do with sustainability, Center for Sustainability Leadership, um, it's all about trying to help people connect with themselves. Uh, in other words, like trying to help people love themselves and forgive themselves and accept themselves deeply. Um, that's something that I am working on with myself. And I think by doing that and then embodying that when I'm working with people to help other people do the same work. Um, I think if more people are walking around on this planet in love with themselves and not in like an egotistical way but in a kind of you're doing all right man you're doing the best you can and i love you you know in that kind of a way i think there'd be a lot less violence there'd be a lot less misery um a lot less suffering um so my dream is that you know we get to a point where everyone on the planet is comfortable with themselves um and is in love with themselves (laughs) Um, one day and I think we'll get there Um, I may not live to see it um, but I have a faith that yeah there's that word again faith I believe it'll happen yeah yeah I look forward to that day too that's um, that's something that I've noticed has had a big impact on my life as well just I mean even from the implications of things like you know the way I eat or um, just I don't know the time I go to bed. Yeah, <laughs> like bizarre yeah. little things like that. But just um, nurturing that. Oh, it's taken a period of time, a long time. And mm. for me, meditation has been part of it too. But um, the the little things that that's that have flowed out of that have been quite profound. Yeah, yeah. yeah those little acts of self care that that you know you're telling yourself. Um, I love you, I value you, you know, I'm not going to push your needs out of the way for, for something that I think you need. These are like just basics that you know you need and take care of them first and then worry about the stuff you think you need. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's so important. And I think 
you're so much more value to the people around you if you can take care of those needs first and then you can bring your best self to everyone around you you can act from um, common ground they talk about acting from your wise self um, and that's the self that you're in when you feel at peace with the world and you feel at peace with yourself really um, and when you're in that space it's so much easier to connect with people in a real way and that then allows them to connect with themselves and connect with you in a real way and suddenly you know the whole game has changed <laughs> yeah um, so yeah that, that's what excites me and the last question is uh, yeah the podcast is about as I said subtle disruptors what's something small that you've done in your own life that's I guess had uh, a sustaining impact or a big impact on where you are now and something that maybe keeps you going through mm. this journey what, you know, what's a small subtle thing that you've done that might be interesting for other people to hear about great question tough question um I think this idea of diving into your fears uh, is something that's been really transformative for me. So I have lived most of my life with pretty serious anxiety um, and I've realized recently that anxiety is about avoiding discomfort. A lot of what drives anxiety, particularly like public speaking anxiety, is about avoiding that uncomfortable feeling you get when you're in a situation that triggers the anxiety. And ironically, it's actually diving into the anxiety that helps you work through it and get, get out the other side. So if you're afraid of public speaking, whatever you do, don't avoid doing it. <laughs> yeah. Do the opposite. Get up in as many chances as you can get. Get up in front of people and feel that fear and use it rather than letting it use you. So yes, it's scary. It feels uncomfortable, but that can energize you and that can make you do a great performance. So I think that was the the big thing the big lesson and I'm still learning it um, for me it's like if something scares you go towards it yeah yeah lean in um, and so there's that and then there's also one other thing I know is that you're only asking for one but the other big kind of life hack if you want to put it that way is mindfulness and that's a lifelong journey but um, it's you know it's massive everyone's doing it now um, and it seems like this big kind of you know confusing thing, but it's really just the essence of it is just being with the present moment, whether that's through breathing or it's through yoga or it's through sounds around you or tastes or sensations in your body, whatever, just whatever is easiest for you to anchor you to the present. That's like the life hack, I reckon, for me. Yeah. Cam, awesome. It's so good to be talking with you today. It's absolute Thanks pleasure. For Thanks for having me. Sharing a song and yeah, really enjoyed our chat. Me too. It was, yeah, it was great. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Subtle Disruptors. I hope you got something out of it. I'm going to make available a brief monthly email which will include one-line summaries of previous episodes as well as details of some events that I'm planning like potentially a recording of a podcast episode with a small audience. If that sounds interesting to you, then you can sign up through subtledisruptors.com. I've had a few people ask about rating and reviewing through iTunes. I've found the easiest way to do this is actually through your phone by opening up the podcast app, searching for Subtle Disruptors, and then clicking on the Subtle Disruptors logo and then the Reviews tab. I'm Adam Murray, and I look forward to hearing about your own Subtle Disruption. Bye for now.